Welcome to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast where we talk about anything and everything family law related. Welcome to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast with me, Alex, and my legal colleague, Liza. Liza, today we've, we've got an interesting one for parenting cases out there. This is you know, loosely titled Sex, Drugs and Rock and Roll. Well, rock and Roll part will just be lifestyle. I don't know that we'll actually get to talk about any rock stars, but you never know. It's about lifestyle factors in parenting cases. And parents behaving badly. Parents behaving badly. That's probably a better way of putting it. So without uh, any more ado, let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex, baby. And now I've just made everyone else's ears bleed. Yeah, that's all good. And the the career as a lawyer becomes even more apparent. (laughs) So (laughs) when I'm talking about sex, I'm I'm talking about the factors that a court has to have in mind when it's deciding parenting orders. And one of those is lifestyle choices and things that happen in somebody's life. So um, we've had cases, but the pair of us, some interesting cases, I mean, one thing about being in family law is that no two cases are ever the same and you do see a real slice of life, a real cross-section. People with all sorts of um, histories and all sorts of activities that go on in the background. Uh, multiple partners, that's been a thing. I've certainly been involved in cases where there have been multiple sexual I, I partners involved. I was just involved. waiting for it. I, I was waiting for you. I've certainly been, been involved in um, relationships <laughs> with multiple partners. We're just getting a little bit close to Alex here, everyone. No, no, that's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but w- w- I was really thinking about um, the consideration. If um, you, you have a mum and you have a dad and they've gone the separate ways and let's say that um, dad continues to have a series of flings with different people, maybe at the same time, or mum for that matter. Um, yep. uh, I, I was actually in court um, not very long ago with, uh, with a parent who you know, our client was alleging um, this this person spent time with multiple people at the same time, and I had to make the observation that does it impact upon her ability to be a parent if it's not taking place in the presence or, or the, the knowledge of the child? You'd want to hope it's not taking place in, well, you, in well, the presence well, <laughs> of the child, but, uh, but sometimes they do. They bring them yeah. home. They bring they bring the the new ones. Well, they drag some creatures back from the pub, and then they yep. you know have at. And does that. Is that something that a judge is going to listen to, take note of? Yes and no. All right, let's go through the yeses. The why, why would a judge care what you get up to in your private life? If it's impacting your time with your child and you're not... Say, for example, um, you don't spend any time on a Saturday night or a Sunday night. You, you're meant to be having um, weekend time with your child and instead you hire a babysitter... And um, you have no. This is, a, this is properly planned, isn't it? I'm going out to misbehave. Well, well, they just <laughs> oh, you, when no you've judgment, got kids. By the way. When you've got kids, you have to properly plan. There's no two ways. There's no spontaneity anymore. But in terms of that's right. um, spontaneity, has to be carefully organised and arranged. Right. So you go out, and you know, and there might be a few different partners coming home, and it can be confusing for the child. And in terms of um, it might be that the child is um, is needing that time with the parent and the parent's just not there facilitating that time. They're, it's impacting their ability to actually provide them with that support and stability because they're just not physically there. They might be out and about and they might have new people coming in and waking up the next morning and there's a new lady in the kitchen 
making them their pancakes and... Are the gentlemen upstairs at the same time well, using the bathroom? <laughs> it can be very um, confusing and, so uh, that's, and that's difficult for a child to try and understand what's going on. So that's really about the, like the deprivation of the parenting capacity during the time that somebody... Maybe they should be spending that time with the children. Yep. It's not necessarily a reflection that there's any criticism of somebody's you know, cho- chosen sort of sex life and practices and things like that. It's more about whether the child is missing out or whether the parental capacity is impacted by that behaviour. Yeah, and if it's hard, if it's hard for the ch- that parent to be supervising the child when they're off with someone else, it that becomes an issue for the court to consider when they're looking at parenting orders. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it's it's more about you can go off and do whatever you like to do in your own time, but if yeah. you if you're looking after little Johnny or little Jenny, then they definitely don't need to be exposed to what you might be getting up to on yeah. the other weekends. So that's right. So on the no on the no case, you'd, you're going to have, say, for example, you're in a 50-50 week about, relation, um, week about situation with your kids and on the off week where you don't have the kids, you can do what you like if, if, with who you like and however many times you like. So I think that's, that's really where it falls into that. As long as it's not um, bringing it to the... Um, the attention of the child and exposing the child to any of those adult issues, um, confusing the child, and in fact making that, as you said, that deprivation of time, um, where the ch- where the child is not getting that um, supervision and support from that parent, you know, then do what you like during during the off week. Do what you like when you like. Just don't drag the children into it. It's, That's right. It's, it's yeah. It's not a family game that everybody can play. But I can tell you now that the your ex is most likely going to be trying to drag. All of that up. Oh yeah, and and uh, no doubt because you know, judges are diverse in their backgrounds. Well, to some extent, um, they're all lawyers, therefore they're all a little bit strange. But they will have their own pers- personal perspectives and personal moral uh, codes around those things. But you know, it's an ever shifting um, thing. Uh, let me talk about a particular type of of person that sometimes it pops up in family law that your client or the other person uh, or the the other party. Uh, is a either a sex worker or has been or, or tends to be. Um, there was a case, I mean, it was a long time ago now, but it was an interesting case. Um, it was in 1979, so, so you know, the language is a little bit unusual, but in the marriage of DKI and mm. OBI, yep. this was a case where a mum um, who, who came from overseas, she was originally from Malaysia, I believe, when they separated, she kind of reverted back to becoming a sex worker in a massage parlour. And it don't, don't know if it's true. It's true. <laughs> if a, only the ca- there was a, a video camera decision. on me right now because <laughs> I'm just giving Alex these looks going, massage parlour? What sort of massage parlour are we well, talking the, about? The ones with a happy finish. Yeah, imagine. happy ending. Yeah. Mm. But, I mean, the husband never complained at the time that our post separate. He used to drop her there and pick her up and things like that. Then when they later on sort of that, they became much more acrimonious, it became obviously a spat in front of the court and the courts basically said, do you know what, we're going to consider whether it's relevant that she works, you know, as they described her in that, in that case, as a prostitute. We'd call it a sex worker, I think, these days. Um, the court basically said the welfare of the child is the paramount consideration, which is quite right. And having a go at mum's conduct in doing what she did wasn't accepted in 1979. So I'm, I'm doubtful that you're going to find very many cases that unless it really impinges upon 
the mum's ability to look after the child, that well, it's going to be a relevant consideration. I mean, it's it seems a bit scandalous, and you, you, you ought not to introduce scandalous material before the court unless it's relevant. But in this matter, um, and I, I'm going to read you this little quote, because there was, uh, in this 1979 case, they then quoted from an English case of the early 1970s, uh, which was, if you if you could board and can't sleep at night, it's called Barnet and Barnet. Um, it said, the judge in that case said, objections to the conduct of parents because they depart from the conventional moral code also have no weight except insofar as they reflect upon the parent's fitness to take charge of the child. And it then goes on, bearing in mind this was an English judge talking, there is above all the special care that which must be exercised by a European judging the behaviour of a litigant from another culture whose values, attitudes and beliefs are not necessarily ours. Now, it's a little bit patriarchal. I mean, we probably look at that and sort of roll our eyes yeah. a bit. But still, the, you know, the, the code and the compass through that is actually pretty good, mm. which is to say, mum can do what mum does. That's a matter for her. and Or dad, indeed, if it's, you know, if it's the way around. But it's, does it have a relevance upon her ability to care for the child? Now, now in that case, in, you know, in the marriage of DKI and OBI, it wasn't deemed to be relevant, and Mum was actually awarded what was called back at the time custody. So living with us, we would now we would now frame it. But look, interesting anyway. I mean, that going back for quite a long time, that the occupation of a of a parent in you know, the sex industry isn't in and of itself determinative. Even though sometimes you might have fine clients who get, who seem to be banging the table and saying it's vital that they be kept away from that person. You can still be a loving parent. Even if you, you know, whether you sort of have a proclivity to multiple partners or whatever else you might do in your private life, or if you work in the sex industry, you can still be a. There was parent. even there was a case in I think it was 2010. It's a case of Murray and Bustle, and in that one, um, I think there was it was all about the past, um, past work of of the of the mother, and she'd struggled in her late teens and early adulthood adulthood with drug addiction. She engaged in sex work to support her habit and she'd you know, had a number of criminal offences and things like that. And so her um, two elder sons were placed into a foster family at that time because the, she just could not care for them through other reasons other than just the sex work. And it, in that case, it was the father's case that the mother wasn't capable of caring for her child, their child, their children, because he thought that she would just simply revert back to... Um, the lifestyle of the drug use and prostitution and a lot of the time there's a stigma that's associated with prostitution that well if you're if you're a pro- if you're a sex worker then you're probably involved in in a, the underworld you're involved mm. with the drugs and criminals and things like that and so there is that um, barrier that one needs to overcome if if you are a sex worker or have been a sex worker and you're trying to um, if you've got any sort of custody battles on your hand hands then it's it does go hand in hand with the the allegations of drug use and in that particular case it wasn't that the um it wasn't so much the what was being alleged there was no proof of anything of her actually going to be reverting to her drug use again he just assumed the father had assumed and was wanting the court to assume also that by her continuing on in that sex work that she was going to um continue with um, the drug use and all the irresponsible right, so, so behaviour. He was, he was trying to tie her working in the sex industry That's with right. extraneous risk factors like drugs and yep. criminality and things like that. But you'd need evidence to show that that That's was the right. case. And just and looking over your shoulder and saying, 
Well, she kind of used to be wrapped up in that lifestyle in the past. That's not really and good And so enough. what the, the, the judge in that case um, declined to give any particular weight to her employment as a sex worker. Um, it was more taking into account the fact that she's come from a, tr- a troubled life, um, but in the totality of the circumstances, they were focusing on more her ability to stay drug-free rather than tying it automatically and saying, well, because she's going back in to, with this drug work, uh, sorry, this um, sex work, that it's not necessarily going to be that she's going to have um, that that fall back to the drug um, drug addiction and and as long as she's able to parent and looking at her specific ability to her parenting capacity to um, parent that child, then that's what the court's going to be interested in. Yeah, so we're not worried too much about what you do for a living. It's about your ability to take care of your child and that's not right. not expose them to risk. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, it's interesting, isn't it? But. Um, we live obviously now, um, you and I both got sort of phones and laptops lying around most of the time and, and you see it everywhere, whether people, you know, whether it's the mall rats walking into things in, in the shopping centres or or just walking down the street. People are clutching their smartphones to them most of the time, gazing into that digital abyss. And one of the things that you know we know from the cases that we deal with and, and life in general is that some people have a particular problem with accessing pornography. This is the porn part. Yeah, I said yeah, we were going to talk about say, porn today. I did yeah. warn you. <laughs> so it's what is the impact of somebody watching porn in a parenting case? Well, if you're watching it with your six-year-old child. <laughs> well, yeah, let's say we would not advise that. Do not do that. Um, do not have – and even as far as, you know, people have porn on their devices, um, if your child who is might be six or seven – or 8, 10, 15, I don't know, um, if they can access your phone and access that material, I think that that becomes a problem. So if you're going to watch porn, and I have no nothing against people watching porn, um, it's more about whether or not the child is exposed to that material that you're watching and taking active steps to make sure that they're not able to get their hands on it because they're going to get their hands so on to it. Speak, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> I meant on the material, not the, not other things which they probably will get their hands on in due course. Uh, yeah, okay. I don't know why I started this topic. I don't know. But, um it pops up sometimes um in <laughs> so god, I'm, I need to rephrase that. Um oh, the matter arises, no, the issue comes up. No. no. Look, anyway. <laughs> the point of No. No. <laughs> Is there a way of saying this, which isn't some kind of innuendo? Uh, I'm just going to battle and throw it, I yeah, think. Yeah, just so. Um, Arvin Legal is proud to sponsor Split Happens. You'll be in safe hands with Arvin Legal. For all your family law needs, call us on 07-5562-0444 or visit our website at arvinlegal.com.au. person who alleges that the other parent watches you know, pornography and it's potentially damaging to a child, um, that they may again, like a lot of these things, people think, aha, it's the smoking gun, it's the deciding factor. The issue always comes down to, to what extent is it impacting upon that other person's ability to parent? And you've quite rightly said, I mean, you're not watching this stuff in front of or in the vicinity of children and it's having no impact. You haven't developed any kind of paraphilia around this that impacts what... Uh, you have the uh, how you can look after the kids 
then you know, I suppose, you know, you just do what you do, don't you? I mean, you, you have your own lifestyle, live your own life. But it's where it impacts upon that children. Again, it's sort of, there are um, some cases out there where you know, people have developed an addiction to mm. pornography. That's probably slightly different. Yeah, and it, well, it, an addict, any kind of addiction is the you know the issue is to what extent does that really affect the person's capacity to parent, and should they get some assistance before they sort of engage fully on an unsupervised time basis with the children? I don't know, but you know, when it comes to um, things like pornography, watching that, then the courts aren't going to be interested. I think providing that it doesn't have a great impact upon what you're doing with your children as it were there was um i think a matter where it was in a family report a mother had reported that the father watched you know excessive amounts and he had lots of pornography um it was whether or not and that case was a uh, berent i think it was it was, t- it was a fairly recent case it was 2021 um but it was really about how the the family report writer seemed to be placing certain amounts of weight on the mother's report of the father's use of pornography so and I think with the, you know, the advent of smart devices, we, we're going to see this as a fairly regular basis. People will yep. be pointing fingers at the other person saying, oh, you know, they like this stuff and they don't like that stuff. Um, I'm not getting in. This is not a show about, you know, various types of you know, material that may be available to people. <laughs> it was really just an observation that you know, as we're doing sort of a sex and drugs and rock and roll, it's something that people have access to a lot now. I guess you... And children as well, because you see a lot of kids walking around with you know, telephones these days and telephones. Oh, it's easy. They can just go on to a number of different sites that I'm not familiar with, of course. Yeah, I, I, I've heard of these things yes, that I've may heard be of them. available. Yeah, a client once told me once. All right, well, that, that's that. Um, uh, fortunately, it's not video, so you can't see my blushing cheeks, so to speak. <laughs> um, <laughs> not what you want to. Um, but let's talk about drugs and in mm. drugs, we'll, we'll get on to alcohol as well. Yeah. Drugs and alcohol. So I, <laughs> I, I, f- I was sort of looking around at this, and there was a, a case that went back to um, 1981, actually. Mm. And this was a parenting case called um, Chandler, Marriage of Chandler. Now, in that case, the wife said, he's a violent man, and, and he sometimes drinks far too much. You know what? The court didn't actually take too much heed of what she said there. In, in its findings, it wasn't concerned with any evidence. Uh, it, it couldn't find any evidence that suggested that he was anything apart from a good and loving parent. And so they ended up each spending time with the child there. So, again, just throwing out allegations that, oh, he drinks too much, she drinks too much, it's not necessarily going to carry you very far. If somebody it might carry a little bit, though. All right, so let's get on. When is that going to be a problem? Well, um, at the interim stage of a of a case so we've talked about filing cases and stuff so star chambers stage of a case so we've we've just started and there's things that are urgent and i can't believe it my my ex is a heavy drinker and he's violent and he's this and he's that and he takes drugs Mm. um and the children at risk because of the way that he um, parties all the time we hear that all the time and then you get an affidavit which has a whole heap of shit thrown at the other party and they don't have to back it up at the interim stage, at that initial stage. Mm. Because until such time as the matter goes to a final trial, which could be a couple of years away sometimes, it can be 12 months, could be two years, could be longer, um, that evidence isn't really tested to the same standard that it would normally be if it was at a final trial. 
So often, you know, there's a lot of mud slinging around and that mud can often stick. And the court, um, in doing its job, if they've met with or faced with an allegation of, you know, ex- obscene drug use or mm. excessive alcoholic behaviours and things like that, where yeah, well, the child... A, there is a screening process these days, of course. Yeah. You know, the first time somebody lodges applications, one of the forms you fill in deals with issues of risk, yep, including and drug and alcohol. alcohol. And, yep. and that could send it off into either, you know, departments in the States being notified, or it can transfer the matter into a special list with yep. you know, those things being a real consideration. So it, the allegations of drug or alcohol misuse they can be a quite powerful thing. It shouldn't. Mm. I mean, we, we, we have, oh, I, I don't know, we shouldn't. I mentioned the Star Chamber a minute ago, and it is a little bit like that, this interim period of justice where somebody's allegations, if they shout them from the rooftops in their filed material, the courts are kind of duty-bound to say, well, we better assume there might be something yep. in that because we'll it's just, the safest we'll just path. act on that. Because act on that, and it's I very hard be, to unravel. I wouldn't want to be the judge, though, that says, you know what? really like the way you've written that i'm not too sure i don't really have any idea or mm. evidence to suggest otherwise but i'm just going to let them go about their ways and then you're going to be faced with potentially something go com- terribly wrong one of the many reasons i'm very pleased not to be a judge yeah i it's would never a difficult be a judge job. very difficult no. job um so I, I i find that there are very few judges who would be game enough to um just dismiss outright any of these allegations particularly unless there's some really strong um, evidence to the contrary. So, um, but in order to, like some of the things that the court might be thinking of or at those earlier stages um, to try and protect and preserve any any sort of, basically preserving those rights of the party that's been accused and also to um, try and protect the children they would normally do things like they can um, make orders for time to be supervised so that there's supervision, whether it be at a contact centre or through grandparents or another yeah. personal well, that's, friend. That's pretty confronting, isn't it? If you've been looking after your children yep. you know, equally without any kind of inhibitions on that. And then be thrown into an institution such as a contact centre. Yeah, some, somebody makes some allegations which may be completely untruthful. Yep. I mean, it, it has happened that people have lied in court documents, believe it or not. Yep. But... Somebody makes those allegations and suddenly your normal relationship with your kids where you've just been picking them up, you know, in evenings, weekends, having half holidays, whatever it is, half the time, suddenly the court says, no, you are a dangerous man, woman. We are not going to let you see your children unless it is in a supervised environment. Yep. That's really confronting stuff. So there's, there's the supervision. There's also they can just suspend time outright and say, no, well, there's, there's can be no time. Often you'll find that when you've got parties who um, they're not agreeing to that supervision, they're not prepared to go through that process. They'll say, mm. "Well, fine, no, well," and because a lot of the time it'll be the time will be suspended unless it is supervised. Yeah. So um, in extreme cases, they'll just say no time altogether. If you know, mum or dad is a complete and utter wreck, and there's just no hope. Mm. Um, it's difficult sometimes. I know that I've given advice, and I'm sure you have too, in the past where. Allegations have been made against a client of mine, whether it's taking drugs or drinking far too much or or whatever behaviour it is, causing them the option of not seeing the kids or seeing them only through a contact centre. And I have to say, look, the most important thing is that you maintain the relationship with the children and you have to kind of grit your teeth, go through that process and demonstrate with evidence that I am not this person that you painted me out to be 
but I'm so focused on making sure the children maintain their relationship with me that I will suck it up and go to those contact centres, horrible as it might be. Put your ego in a jar, leave that at home, and go and see the children. Yeah. Just to make sure that contact continues. Yeah. And it's difficult. I mean, people trying to unravel lies that are told about you in, in, in paper, sometimes you may never get that day in court to say, you know, I, I was right, you lied about me. Yeah. Because so many cases get settled that you have this, you know, this poisonous, this poison pen letter in the form of an affidavit that, that accuses you of all sorts of things. It never actually gets dealt with, never really gets heard. The judge never gets to decide whether it's true or not true. You never feel exonerated. And so, you know, you have to give your clients a lot of support and get, you know, encourage them to get personal support and counselling support around those things if, you know, there are false accusations made against them. Of course, we do have clients who do have issues with drink and, That's right. and with drugs. And um, <laughs> I remember a few years ago uh, meeting somebody in uh, in court. It was the first day. We, we ended up being there all day, um, spatting around, you know, the, the, the orders for this, this dad to spend time with the children. And he was adamant that he didn't take drugs. And I don't know. If I could have drawn a caricature of what somebody who looks like when they have taken an awful lot of drugs... <laughs> Um, <laughs> that guy would have been it. Um, yeah. And, of course, we, we created orders around, you know, creating a regimen so he would be able to see the kids. Yeah. But mum had said, look, he's taken all this stuff. And it was, it was a raft of things. It wasn't just one type of drug. It was whatever he could get his hands yeah. on almost. So you create this regimen that says, look, he has to jump through these drug tests. He has to jump through these alcohol tests. Then ha- make sure that any time he spends, he's not under the influence, all of that stuff. Well, we did all of that, and he was adamant. Oh, I'll never do it. She's saying all, all these lies. Well, obviously, inevitably, within just a few months, he wasn't seeing the children because he kept failing these flipping drug tests. Mm. And that's where you go with it. I mean, you create yeah. the, the safety mechanisms in the court orders. Well, that's the other thing that I was going to talk about was yeah. that in terms of, um, you know, you've got supervision on one hand, but then you've also got that monitoring and testing on mm. the other hand, which is the, which it can be useful if you're adamant that it's all a bunch of lies, yeah, and it is in fact lies, well, that's going to come out. It's going to show on the drug tests. Uh, again, it's, you know, go and sort of crunch a few teeth with, with sort of grinding them together in frustration, but go and do the test unilaterally and voluntarily yep. Yep. and then throw that evidence across to the other side and say, you're making this stuff up, see? Yep. And the judge will see that in the fullness of time and say, well, you, you're Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so, your allegations are unfounded, and they've proved it. And that will help negate things, but again, it's at you know it's always at cost of the person who's being accused. Yeah. The um, the, I mean, the process for drug testing. Let's mm. talk briefly well, on different, that. There's different types, so maybe we just cut to those ones. Sure. The types. So we've got, you know, you've got your urine tests. So there, um, that's where someone produces a urine sample, usually under supervision. The ones that aren't supervised, where they can just go into a, a cubicle and not be supervised, they're not as reliable. Um, and sometimes there might be random urine drug tests that are, you know, it says that on 48 hours notice or 24 mm. hour notice. Yep. Um, they they usually detect a whole heap of different substances, um, but most of the drugs aren't really detectable after about five days. So they're not very good for long-term drug use. It just So the urine tests, you know. The urine tests. But they're cheaper and you can do those real quick ones. So, for example, if you have got an exa- if you want to make sure that, um, you know, mum's not affected by drugs before she takes the kids back, well, you can make her have a drug test, you know, 24 hours before or something like that and, and you know, 
get those results fairly gives you an indication, doesn't it, whether she's still kind of regularly taking drugs. But, I mean, of course, people can withhold from taking drugs for a few days, get a clean urine test. They can. And then they could, before they pick up the kids, just go have at. Yep, and that's where the hair follicle testing comes in. Right, now that's a bit bit more detailed, a bit more expensive. Much more expensive. Yeah, okay. So... That one is where we were joking about this one before because mm. um, if anyone wants to have a, a look at Alex and we just don't know where they're going to get I the wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> what have I said before? My mum always said I had a great face for radio. <laughs> get the hair follicles from. <laughs> um, pull them so out the ears these basically days. Basically, it involves cutting a small <laughs> amount of hair as close as possible to the scalp uh, or body. So you, your ears do count, Alex. It's there okay. You go. There Sorry. we are. It grows everywhere apart yep. from where it should do these days. <laughs> But you need three centimetres of hair um, and it basically measures the cons- consumption for the last three months. Yeah, I, so and some of them go a little bit further. I guess it's like um, yeah. it's like counting the rings of a tree, isn't it? It is. You, know, you can see, you know, oh, you haven't taken any drugs this, you know, this month, but you had a great month on smack two months ago, for example. But one of the downfalls of that type of drug testing is if, is if it's the case that it's only been a one-off, mm. it's not going to be detected. But no. having said that, if you want to say, yes, I went on a bender, it was a one-off, that's it, I'm not actually a druggie, you can, in fact, the hair follicle test should actually substantiate that. Yeah, because it, show, it shows repeated use over time, it? does. It does. Um, and there's also, so you've got your alcohol tests, like your carbohydrate yeah. deficient transference, the CDTs. CDT. Yeah, CDT tests, they are the ones that, sp- I mean, urine tests, you can obviously use those to pick up if somebody's take, you know, using alcohol a lot or if they've got a lot in the system, likewise yep. blood tests. But the CDT test actually measures the long-term misuse of alcohol, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. And that's the one that if you are genuinely concerned about the other person's consumption, drinking habits, and we're not looking at each other here, we're both both staring at the floor, (laughs) um, then that would be the test that you would probably ask the other person to take or have a court make orders that they take it. So, And there's also – and the liver function test as well. But they they can prove inaccurate, I I find. (laughs) Not speaking from personal experience here, but okay, the, the but CDT test is the CDT the test one. is the long term al- alcohol misuse yeah. test. Yeah, yep. okay. And you can all, all of these things, of course, if you're engaged um, with 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 your lawyers, um, whether you're in court or whether you're not, you can approach the other person and say, "Hey, I, I I have these concerns. I want you to take an array of tests before you recommence time with the children or when they're having time with you." Yep. It's up to the other person to say, "You know, go go boil your head, get lost. Yeah. But then if you go in front of a judge and you've made out those risk allegations, then you can end well, up with a court if you order. Can af- if you can afford a test, go do it. Do it. And prove them wrong. And attach it to your affidavit. And if you don't want to do the test, then, then we, we might sort of be going, that's fine, I'm not going to ask you that particular question, yeah. but there may be some difficulties in facing that parenting application on the other side. Yep. Mm, so. Okay. All right, so th- those are sort of what we might do about drug and alcohol tests. So we've we've covered our sex, we've covered our drugs, we've covered to some extent our rock and roll. So um, were there any other sort of big ticket items that you wanted to chat about with that or should we um, come back to, I mean, I think there's there's a lot more to be said about drug testing and alcohol testing, when it's right, how long it goes on for, but... Yeah, we, I was we might say have to that save that a, for a, a separate a, a podcast. separate episode of the types of orders that the court yeah, can make. A, a, like that's right. I mean, it's more about those are the prevention of of risk, uh, risk of harm kind of orders that we talk about. So that's a, an episode all on its own. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much indeed for listening to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast with me, Alex, and my colleague Liza. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you've got any questions, let us know in the comments. Otherwise, uh, tune in again for the next episode. 
Thanks for listening to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast. If you want to hear more of our episodes, you'll find us wherever you find your podcasts on all good platforms.